time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. You've probably figured this out by yourself by now, but if you own a vulva, did you know that there is a three in five chance that having penetrative sex doesn't result in an orgasm? Enter Zumio. (laughs) Zumio is a -a one-of-a-kind toy with the sole purpose of providing a unique, stimulating experience. And guess what? It doesn't even vibrate. It rotates with a concentrated pinpoint energy that allows you to control how and where you use it. There are four different models specifically designed for your personal intensity preferences. And Zumio is great for vulva mapping and exploring the rest of your body, whether that is solo or with a partner. Check out www.myzumio.com slash Rachel. That's R-A-C-H-E-L for a special discount for the Right Conversations listeners and take control of your orgasms today. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode five of The Right Conversations. Today, we are having a conversation about sexual regulation, all about how our nervous systems play a role in our capacity to sustain safety, arousal, and pleasure with Kristen Henke. If you are someone who has ever experienced The feeling of your nervous system telling you that you are in danger when you are logically not in danger, this episode is for you. If you have ever experienced a challenge staying present during solo sex, partnered sex, group sex, this episode is for you. We are going into it. Kristen Henke is a somatic sex coach whose work focuses on body-based trauma resolution and sexual empowerment. She is passionate about helping women and femmes access the full rapture of life through healing their nervous systems and reclaiming their voice, body, and power. She is also the creator and host of the Nothing Confidential podcast, which I've been on fun. She lives in Chicago with her partner, Mike, her daughter, James, and her rescue pup, Ava. Without any further ado, here is a conversation with Kristen Henke. Hello, my dear. Welcome to the show. Hi, love. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to do this. It's been a very long time coming and it's just an honor to have you here. I'm thrilled. I likewise, and I was thinking about the last time we were together in a podcast context, and it was like three years ago for the first Holy season shit. of Nothing Confidential. So <gasps> also we're going to have to do a swap seat. You got to come back. Yeah. Yeah. To my show too. Yeah. Oh, and anyone, way too long. <laughs> a- 
anyone listening who is enjoying this podcast, you will love Nothing Confidential. Go check it out. I'll link it. It is so, so wonderful. And I'm not just saying that because I was a guest and this is my friend. <laughs> it really is good. But our episode is still, it stands the test of time. I re-listened to it not that oh, long good. ago. It was so good. Like I feel there's so many other places, like the depth of where we can go now, just because three more years of friendship on top of what we had yep. is, is beautiful, but on its own. So great. It was like season one. I had no clue what I was doing this session. It was like, uh, what did I say? I was asking for a friend with a friend and you're my friend that I brought on. I was like, she's also a therapist though. So this is great. It was such a good conversation. We talked about so many things and our, our chemistry is pretty unmatchable. So I'm excited to be here with you today. Same. It's, you know, it's so funny you say it stands, it stood the test of time because I re-listened to a podcast that I recorded before Kyle and I were non-monogamous. And I was like, who is that person talking? Like, it's all, if you just remove that piece of it, it's like, oh yeah, that's Rachel. But like, fuck my whole view of the world and like my experience within monogamy versus now, it's just wild. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad that one holds up. It is, it is super wild to listen to podcasts and this is, it's the thing that I love and fear about them together Uh is it is this living kind of audio diary of your life. Like when I think about starting my podcast, I was pre-recording episodes when I was pregnant before I gave birth to my daughter. And then she like grows up in the background. There are episodes where I stop the recording to change a blowout or where you hear her like knocking down stuff and pulling things off my bookshelf. And like, that's all actually kind of magical. And then there's the podcast episodes with me from former lives before I ever got to doing what I'm doing now. And some of them were about entrepreneurship. And at one point I called myself an administrative strategist or some shit like that. And then at one point, oh yeah, like forever ago. And then one point I was a intuitive eating coach, which I find really exciting and fun. But I think what is really interesting is that even in all of those conversations about different topics, There was this thread and this through line that led me all the way to where I am today and things we'll talk about in depth of self-trust and autonomy and not going with what everyone else is doing, but paying attention to what works for you and the people in your life who you have agreements with. And it's so interesting because I think a lot of people could say, wow, like you, I mean, I really threw spaghetti against the wall. I did. But I was really following my soul. Like in so many of those moments, those conversations I was having are not, I mean, switch eating and business and sex, like switch them up. I'm having the same conversation about those things. And I find that to be really interesting. Oh, okay. So let's go exactly from there. So this episode is named a conversation about sexual regulations, how our nervous system plays a role in our capacity to sustain safety, arousal, and pleasure. As the expert in this, where do you even want to begin? What do you want to start with for someone who's like, what the fuck is, what was that? I know it was English, yeah. but like, what, what are you saying? Like, I know a couple of those. And yeah. Some of those words are probably really buzzwordy right now because yeah. it seems like the entire internet is talking about nervous system and regulation. And that's amazing. 
on the one hand, and I think you've had this experience, any therapist has probably had this experience. We're like, I'm so glad that some of this key information is mainstream. And there's a lot of nuance and application and things that are potentially being missed. And so it's yep. very important to find trustworthy sources for studying this information and not just like passing around gifts and memes, right? Yes. Yeah. So the, the gifts and memes need to supplement <laughs> the actual information. Right. Like you cannot share a, a meme about co-regulation and call yourself a somatic expert. It does not work <laughs> like that. It does not, you guys. It doesn't work that way. So I think the place I want to start is where I was before I had the realization that every client that was coming to me to improve their sex and intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, my title is a, is a somatic sex coach. I added the somatic before somatic was like the coolest word ever um, because I needed a differentiator after a year and a half of private practice and realizing that I actually couldn't support any of the, the women and vulva owning humans who came to me without addressing the amount of sympathetic charge in their system, the amount of basically the, the nervous system function that wasn't there, there wasn't safety and capacity to talk about things that were really activating. There wasn't safety and capacity to have conversations, even when they were given scripts with partners, because there was a lack of safety and security and the relationship sometimes because of the partner but more often than not because of unresolved trauma from their past that we would unearth sometimes six months into working together because they thought that that was not what they were there to work on they were right. there to learn how to give better blowjobs and how to spice things up and how to be more appealing to their partner like that is those were like the symptoms that kind of brought them in and as i would start to give them very tangible kind of tactical ways to practice asking for what they want, finding out what it is that they want, we would run into these blocks where it's like, I, oh, I, I just can't, I just can't. Mm -hmm. And we would explore why we just can't. Well, when I do, I feel like I'm going to die. Or when I do, I feel like I need to run out of the room or scream. Or when I do, I can't, I freeze, I can't move. And so over and over and over, I was seeing unresolved self-defense responses mm -hmm. coming up in my clients, and they were unaware of the somatic or body story, the nervous system story that was underlying the cognitive story, which is, I don't like sex, you know, I, I don't feel confident. I don't like my body. And some of those things had some truth in them for mm -hmm. those people at the time. But mostly what it was, was I, at some point was made to feel really unsafe in my body, or I completely left my body and dissociated or, you know, any number of those scenarios. And so when I really got clear on what it was that I was doing with everyone because we would finish three months, six months, a year, and we would be celebrating and talking about how far they'd come and all of the growth and everything they experienced. And over and over and over, it's almost like, you know, they would say, well, I mean, I, I know I came here for the sex, but like, 
we fixed so many other things. Like, I'm not even worried about that anymore. Like that just kind of came naturally when all this other stuff came into place. And so I almost had an identity crisis where I was like, well, if I'm a sex coach, who's not really helping them with sex. And it's like, well, that's not actually true though. I am giving them the foundational tools to create the amount of safety that is necessary for staying in your body, for setting boundaries, for communicating what you need. And so that's when I realized that the direction I wanted to take my practice in was the, the training and nourishment of nervous system function, because everything, even in my own life and my own practice, because, you know, as all therapists have therapists, I do somatic experiencing. I have a somatic experiencing practitioner who I saw for over a year before I ever started integrating some of this into my practice. It has changed my life. It's changed how I parent. It's changed how I show up in my own bedroom, in my friendships. And we'll get more into the the nerdiness, you know, as we go, but it's really hard to feel and sustain arousal when your sympathetic nervous system is, is tapped out. And we live in such a stressful red society where literally scrolling Instagram can send you into a sympathetic nervous system response. And so then you fast forward to the end of the day where you cognitively really want to have sex. You miss your partner. You want to connect. You want to get intimate. And they come in and they go to touch you and the arousal that happens in your body, which is activation. Like our nervous system doesn't know the difference between quote unquote, good activation and bad activation. We just feel the surge. And if you're tapped out, if the stress is too high, if that, that desire to flee or fight or freeze over is too high, then that arousal that we really want can send us cascading into a trauma response and can have us picking fights with our, our partner or wanting to actually get out really quick and deciding that we don't want that anymore. And so there are all of these confusing things that happens. Like we don't understand the difference between what the mind is saying and what the body is saying and why. And that's why I feel really passionately about helping people learn that language so that they understand, not so that, you know, are we never have reactions? That's not the point. It's so that there's awareness when we're having a reaction and we can understand just like cognitive therapy obviously is so helpful in giving us language in making us aware of patterns so that we can name them and see them. So that when we're entering into that cyclical behavior, instead of just, you know, continuing down the spiral, we're like, Oh my God, I remember talking about this with Rachel. I remember (laughs) us having this realization and I can see now that this is what I'm doing. So that in a nutshell, a kind of long winded nutshell is what I really focus on in my work. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And I, I think that, you know, there's something that you said that really like two, two things that came up for me. Number one is I so often hear, uh, folks in general in life and in my practice misuse, um, I feel and then have something come after it that is not a feeling. And you just use the only other appropriate way of using I feel besides having an emotion come after, which is describing literally how you feel in your body. So, so often I hear people uh, say things like, I feel like you, da, 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 da. 
and it, no, 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 that's a thought, yeah. right? I think <laughs> I'm experiencing right? you. My perception is that like, that is not a feeling. What is a feeling is either an emotion or a physical sensation. And so I just wanted to like name that because that was such a beautiful example of that. And then the other thing is, is I so often talk about, people will ask me, this comes up a lot in non-monogamy. They'll say like, Rachel, I logically agree to this. I'm like pro my partner going out and doing what they want. And then the second they leave the house, my body just freaks out. I want to throw up. And then I judge myself because I don't want to have that reaction. I am consenting to this. I am encouraging of this. I want this for myself, but my body literally won't let me. And I'm wondering where you would start with someone that is having that dissonant experience. Mm, I love this question. I love it so much. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I want to quickly interrupt this episode to talk about my latest project with Best Self Co. If you don't already know, Best Self Co. is a brand with a range of simple yet meaningful tools that help people achieve their goals, be more productive, and create positive change in their life. I've had the pleasure of working with Best Self Co. on a few projects, the latest being their brand new Intimacy After Dark deck. This 150 card conversation deck is a tool for talking about and exploring sex to bring more connected intimacy into your life. The deck was designed with all relationship structures in mind and includes a conversation framework adapted and approved by me that guides you through consensual and comfortable conversations about sex. Best Self was so kind to provide a code to my listeners so that you can get your hands all over the Intimacy After Dark deck before it's gone. Use the code Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, during checkout at bestself.co and get 30% off the new Intimacy After Dark deck. That's bestself.co and code Rachel for 30% off the new After Dark deck. I want to thank Best Self Co. for being one of today's podcast sponsors. Now, back to our conversation. Where my mind would immediately go is, okay, so two stories are happening at the same time right now. So having them acknowledge the, the both and. This is not an either or. This is both and. You are pro your partner. You are so excited that they've connected with someone. You are here for their growth and expansion and connection and love and all of these things. And the story your body is telling, the story your nervous system is telling is a much older story. Cognitive stories is today. That's what's happening. Yep. Body story is when your father walked out on you as a child and you felt abandoned and scared and weren't sure if he was ever going to come back. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But even if he did, there was that part of you that's like the people who love me always leave me. And so the panic or the freeze or the desire to run after them screaming or even the desire to purge, to throw up like that, that's flight, flight. Like anytime we want to like some kind of a release is flight energy. And so you're having two things happening simultaneously. And then there's that third piece of then judging what the physiology is doing, which is very harmful in the trauma resolution process because you're, it, 
It's truly your primal body making the decision that is going to best preserve your life. And so the shame piece comes in when we judge what our physiology chose and when we connect morality or our character to what our physiology chose. Mm. So many things I'll hear with clients is I should have in cases of an assault, I should have fought back. I should have run away. But, and the answer is you couldn't. Mm -hmm. Your body knows all of the factors that you can't actually process in the moment because you're overwhelmed. Your body has already scanned for all the exits. It's sized up the person that you're dealing with. It's, it's taken in all of this information and it made the decision that was the most likely to ensure your survival. And if that was freezing and playing dead, as happens in the animal world, which is where all of this study and information comes from, because we all know at the end of the day, we're all animals, guys. Sorry. Indeed we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what your primal body chose on your behalf. It was something meant to preserve you and keep you safe. And so it's really working on those three pieces together. I would celebrate them and, and validate them and reflect back to them. Of course you love this person. Of course you are so happy for them. And you're having this, your body is having this experience that speaks to a time when it didn't feel safe for someone you love to leave you. And we get to sit with that and be really compassionate about that. And then what I practice, which is somatic experiencing developed by Dr. Peter Levine, link a lot of his work for you guys, if you want to nerd out. Please. But in somatic experiencing, what we would do exactly what you're talking about with, with the feelings, I'm not just asking them to like in their mind, like, I'm not asking you to just like, think about feeling what's happening in your body. I'm actually saying, so when you tell me you want to throw up because your partner left, where do you feel the desire to throw up? And that might feel really like an obvious question, but sometimes it's not actually your gut. Sometimes I feel it, it's, there's constriction in my throat Yeah. or I, I notice that my, my fists, my hands are curling into fists. I feel tension in my shoulder. I feel like dropping. I feel sensation. I feel something very uncomfortable in the pit of my stomach. And it's finding all of these places in our body where that other story is being told so that in a safe environment, we can sit with those sensations, having the ability to, to titrate, to touch into those sensations that are uncomfortable, and then to come back out to our to the room, to come to present, to come back to you and me and this conversation and this cognitive version of you who knows that your partner is on a date and really loves them and is really excited about that. The honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. And we can feel into that. What does it feel like in your body to be excited for your partner? Like even if you thought of a different way, like when 
they get an opportunity, a job opportunity that is that is so appropriate for all the hard work they've put in. Like, how does that feel? Maybe you get goosebumps on your arms. Maybe you feel like a little flutter in your heart space. Maybe your breath gets a little more shallow because of the excitement. Maybe you can feel a smile forming on your face. Maybe, you know, there's all these other sensations that come with this present version of you who's so excited for them. And so we focus on those sensations and we can toggle back and forth between these sensations, which are true and these sensations, which are frozen from a time before that also feel incredibly true when they're happening. Yes. And we create this resilience and this ability to move back and forth between the discomfort and something that's more comfortable. And in doing so, we're teaching our body and our system that it's okay to feel these feelings. So we don't need to feel ashamed. We don't need to run away. We don't need to freeze. We don't need to lash out. We can actually hold ourselves in toggling back and forth in the both hand. Oh, I mean, you know, I talk about and all the time in a million different contexts and I love it applied to this. I'm, I'm wondering a question that I get asked a lot uh, when I'm doing AMAs and I constantly just want to like tag you and be like, Hey, Hey, punt it over is the question being, I go to masturbate and something in me, in my body is telling me that it's wrong is telling me that I'm unsafe, but I feel confused because no one else is there. And I know I'm not in danger. And I know I'm doing something that's encouraged by my partner, by, you know, this random redheaded therapist on Instagram, <laughs> by like whoever it is. And I know I'm doing like the quote unquote right thing, but my body is freaking out. Do you work with folks who experience that? Is that something that you commonly see? I do actually masturbatory shame is my bread and butter kind of, um, that's how, that's kind of how everything started really was going to be your quote of the episode. Right? Masturbatory is shame is my bread and butter. <laughs> Pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not sure Rachel, if you experienced this when you were starting out, but I really had this fear of being like cornered into or pigeonholed as like oh, one yes. thing. Right. Yep. And because of some personal shares that I had done on my Instagram account about my own history, I grew up in the South, in the Bible Belt, in purity culture, and I uh, speak very openly and freely about how damaging so many of those things are culturally, yep. um, you know, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. And so for a little while, even though I hadn't tied that to my work. It's obviously me and I am my work. So it followed along. I was attracting a lot of young women who were post purity culture, super confused. Ah. Half of them did everything quote unquote, right. They waited, they saved themselves for marriage. They saved their virginity to give to their husband as a gift. And then the reward oh. they got was horrible sex, sometimes painful sex and trauma responses and this confusing phenomena where we're supposed to go from a lady in the street to a freak in the sheets. And all of a sudden we can't, there is something blocking us. Weird. So, 
so weird, right? That you spend your whole life being programmed and socialized and imprinted with something, um, you know, as scary as eternal damnation. And then suddenly you're supposed to be able to turn around and be like this tigeress who is able to give blowjobs and do anal no problem. Like that's, right? yeah. Could you, imagine, <laughs> could you imagine if we did this with food? Like if right. someone was brought up thinking that like eating chicken was the, you know, worst sin on earth. And it's like, don't fucking eat chicken. Don't fucking eat chicken. Don't eat chicken. Don't eat chicken. every single day. And then one day they're like, oh, you're married. Here's a plate full of chicken. Enjoy it. Yeah. You'd be like, and enjoy what? it. And also think of like creative, special things to do with this chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that your partner really enjoys the chicken that you're cooking, even though you've never been taught how to cook chicken or prepare it because it's terrible and you're supposed to stay away from it. Now you're supposed to be the expert, the fourth most expert on chicken and poultry. Yeah. Like, Why? Makes like no fucking sense, right? Like it makes no sense. Yeah. And yet this is typically what's happening. And especially in, in my lovely people who are like, okay, we know again, cognitively, we know that all that stuff was crazy and insane. We know that we're not going to grow hair on our knuckles or go blind from masturbating. We know that you know, that this is not sinful or wrong. We know it's healthy and normal. And yet when I get in there, get the vibe fired up, something happens. Like I can't stay in my body. I end up in my head too much, or I find myself rushing through it and I have an orgasm in 30 seconds. And then I feel really shitty afterwards. That's something that happens. And that, cause that was a question when I'm teaching self-pleasure school, which is a three-part, literally a three-part masterclass that I came up with because that's how many people are like, oh, we need help with self-pleasure masturbation practices. We talk about how the frequency of things is really important. So some people, just the fact that you're saying masturbation, some people might notice a little like, ooh, like a little discomfort, mm. a little like lip quiver or eye twitch whenever somebody says that. And based on how they were raised or what their experiences were, language and our bodies association with language can carry very heavy connotations. And so one thing that I have people do immediately when they're feeling stuck like that is to, first of all, look at how masturbation or whatever they're calling the practice of connecting with themselves. How does that feel to you when you talk about it and when you think about it? Cause that was one of the first things that I did with everyone in the masterclass was I had them do a somatic practice where I brought them to kind of a neutral. We got very present in our body. We oriented. And then I had them just drop in the word. I was like, I want to know what shows up somatically when you say, or think about the word masturbation. And a lot of the women reported that they immediately felt a clenching in their stomach or they felt kind of nauseous or they felt like a, a, a yucky, they felt disgust. They had certain things come up when they thought about it. And that was because for them, masturbation was linked to, you know, porn or, uh, or like gross, creepy guys, or, you know, somebody whipping their dick out on a train that happens in New York quite a bit yes, and like does. masturbating in front of them. Like there were all of these kind of right. fearful, disgusting, like not at all pleasant or positive associations with the word itself. And so part of what shifted their ability to engage was to change how they talk about it. And so we tried out 
self-pleasure. We tried out so low pleasure. We made up funny stuff. Like I have a client who she was moving through a lot, like 40 years of sexual trauma and realized that for so long, she internally saw herself as like a bunny, like a flight animal. And over our time together, she transformed and she realized she had this like inner tigress who was like really powerful and hungry. And so then she started referring to her practice as feeding the tiger, which I fucking mm. loved. And so it's just finding these ways, like how does that shift the sensation and the energy of the activity in your body? Finding a different way to talk about it is a really great first step. Lawanda Massager is a woman-founded luxury vibrator brand that brings unparalleled quality to a notoriously sketchy industry. Lawanda originated as one hell of a classic wand, all the power you could want with an award-winning design to match, and has now become a full line of best-in-class, heart-pounding, hair-raising toys designed with pleasure in mind for all bodies. Take 25% off your order at lawandmassager.com using code Rachel Wright. And then I would say the other part is, again, and it's going to get redundant because this is how it's all tied together. It's understanding that when you're having a reaction like that to something that you cognitively know is safe, somewhere in your body, there's a disconnect and there's a breakdown. And so we have to work on coming back to a place of regulation in the nervous system of safety in the nervous system, that there is a a branch of the parasympathetic system that is called the ventral vagal. And that is the space where you are calm, but alert. Cause I think Mm. people talk, we used to talk about, um, parasympathetic and sympathetic in basically two, two legs. It was like rest and digest. And then, you know, fire yes. flight or, you yeah. know, whatever. And, and there's, it turns out as most things, there's a lot more nuance than that. Weird. You know? <laughs> so weird, so much more nuance. So you have to be for sex to be enjoyable and juicy and connected and intimate. You have to have access to your parasympathetic system which a lot of people would be confused by because they would think you'd be laying there like a fish, like a dead fish. Right, like, right. Oh, you're laying super still because that's rest and digest. But there's two different branches. One of them is that is like total, total freeze, total stillness, which is the answer to way too much stimulation. That's the emergency break. That is like cranking the emergency break going downhill and everything comes to a slam stop. So if something were to, let's say you're trying something new sexually and all of a sudden your body and brain, all of us like feel completely overwhelmed and flooded and you just freeze. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. That is a, what they talk, call a high tone function of um, the parasympathetic, which means that basically your sympathetic system got activated. It was active, 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 active. And then the, your body had to pull the emergency break because it couldn't handle what was about to happen. Cause sometimes depending on how much charges in our system, our body will choose to deploy other methods. It may try to get you out of the room. It may have you pick a fight or something to disengage with the activity that is caught to backpedal off of the activity that is causing you to feel overactivated. But if none of those are a viable option in the moment, the emergency break gets pulled and that's where freeze comes in. 
Okay. And so on the other side, in the same area though, the other leg is that ventral vagal and dorsal vagal is freeze. That's dorsal. Ventral vagal is this function of the parasympathetic that is calm, but alert from this place. You have the space to respond instead of reacting. You are able to scan and look around and make decisions. You feel like you have options. You feel like if you needed to ask for help or ask for something different, you could. You feel like if something needs to be addressed or called out, you could do that. You are in this space of safety where you have the ability to kind of pick everything up and choose a different response if you were to need to leave or to initiate something else but it's very much you're in the driver's seat in that spot. And so that is where we need to be able to get to when we are having sex so that when that arousal comes in, we can notice the arousal, we can acknowledge and feel it and let it spice up the blood and stuff, but we don't get carried off into a stress response. So those things work together for great experiences for deeper connection for the ability to stay fully present to what is happening and so a lot of times what i end up doing with clients essentially like training women and people to stay in this state of regulation to access this state of regulation sometimes working on things that are going to benefit your sex life are decidedly unsexy like I think people mm. think, and I'm sure you experience this also, I, people think that when you go into work on your sex life, it's going to be all about sex and rarely it's yeah. all about sex. Literally, right. it's all about everything else. And all of those things are what impacts your ability to have or not have sex. And yeah. so we do a lot of work on embodied safety. We do a lot of work on regulating our breath and noticing what's happening in our body and what story the nervous system is telling when we're late for something or when we get an email from a, a coworker who activates us or when we have a really hard conversation with our partner about something totally different those are the moments when we're working on that safety and noticing what's happening being able to respond to it and finding that place of regulation so that it becomes second nature so that when we're in a situation where maybe we are hoping to masturbate or experience pleasure on our own and we start to feel shut down in our body or we start to feel really activated, we can notice that and we can do things to bring regulation into the practice. And so I really work with people on creating, I call it a self-pleasure practice because it has so much to do with orientation, coming into your body, the ability to titrate between stimuli and real, you know, relaxing all of these things that are going to make that experience so much more rich and also so much more sustainable. Because something I ask people a lot is like, are you using masturbation to be more in your body or to leave your body? Because I, ha I have had that experience in my twenties where I could I could rub out 10 orgasms <laughs> in, in 15 minutes. Like I, yeah. I, I would rub one out multiple times a day, but it was a hit it and quit it. It was literally, yeah. it was a release and it was so that I could leave. It was escape. 
And so sometimes we have to figure out what's going on there. Are you coming in here with the intention to escape your body or to be in it more? And those will conflict. <laughs> those will, that there will be conflict there. In the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about how to talk about sex and other intense topics with your partner. And I mentioned working with a company that I love and have partnered with called Best Self Co. They're the company that I created the Intimacy After Dark deck with. Well, I love the team over there. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, we are combining forces to give one lucky listener per episode a free Intimacy After Dark deck. What do you have to do to enter? Visit bestself.co slash Rachel. Plus, don't forget that they are offering all my listeners 30% off the new After Dark deck. Again, visit bestself.co and use promo code Rachel. Have you ever had the experience with a client or seen that someone is using the leaving your body example in a positive way? That is a great nuanced Quick question. My answer to that is nuanced. I would say <laughs> that I am always very careful in assigning positive or negative yes. to anything that our physiology chooses to do, right? For the very reason that I brought up earlier, where so often our shame comes in when we judge what our body decided to do. I think that it is always something to marvel at and be grateful for and in awe of when your body decides to remove you from a situation that would be harmful to you, either emotionally, physically, et cetera. I think that it's amazing that our bodies can do that. I think that's what I would say. I, 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 because I have seen, I mean, there have been times where someone really did, they needed to leave their bodies so that they could continue to heal and untangle. Yeah. And that is, I, I think that is very productive. I do think that that has, I have seen times when it's been very productive and to some extent that is kind of what titration and pendulation are for. It's not now it's not meant to leave your body, but it's meant to shift your focus from a sensation that's overwhelming to a sensation that you can handle. Mm. And it's not avoidant. It's actually just compassion. Yes. Yes. So I, I love that answer so much because one of the things that I despise in the psychology community is the idea of positive and negative coping mechanisms. Yeah, right. And like running is a great example. There are people who will go running even if their ankle is fucking broken and falling apart. And you could sit back and say, well, oh, running, that's healthy. If you're doing it to while you're harming yourself, that is right. no longer a useful coping skill. And it's it's so subjective and nuanced. And there's mm -hmm. not like a list of positive things and a list of negative things. And it sounds like with this, it's very, very, very similar. Absolutely. Because what somatic experiencing would say was like, oh, you feel the need to run and your ankle is really hurting you and it's not going to serve the rest of your body to actually run. So what would feel safer than sitting that isn't running? Would that be going on a walk? Yeah. Would that be, you know, 
sitting on sitting on something and having somebody pull you around would that be the ability to just stand up and leave the room so that your body understands that you have the ability to flee if you need to it's like there's all these different ways that we could move or complete the cycle of that energy without doing the thing that's going to detriment us further and so i love what you're saying there like i yeah i don't like this this is positive or this is negative yeah. it's like we're more interested in effective and ineffective yes strategies yes what is going to be effective what is going to be ineffective at this time and those exactly. change they change what might be very effective in your 20s no longer effective in your 30s and we need different things yeah yeah okay so as we start to wrap i don't want to wrap this we are we're going to need to do another episode um as we start to wrap if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking like i'm definitely relating to some of the things you're saying i'm not sure what type of support i need how can someone kind of self-assess is there like a pattern that they can look for or an experience that they may be having or um somatic like physical sensations that they're experiencing over and over again that would kind of pop up the light bulb of oh that's what that's what this is yeah there's like anything there's always symptoms if you know how to look for them i think the trickiest part is that in nervous system like it would be so great if it was straightforward where it's like oh i'm either dealing with <laughs> fight flight or freeze at this yeah. time unfortunately or not unfortunately but factually what happens is typically layered i may have someone in front of me who i'm working with layers of freeze and fight at the same time where one part of the cognitive story their body reacts in a fight reaction that wants to complete and then they hit another part of the story where it's too much and then freeze shows up and so that's i want to i want to say that as kind of the baseline because you may be dealing with layered responses um that are trying to to come through and that could feel really confusing so that that in itself may be a sign where you feel you might have thought to yourself oh maybe i'm maybe i'm bipolar because literally sometimes you want to punch someone in the throat and sometimes you don't want to get out of your bed and while right. you may be experiencing a, a mental illness that needs attention that needs direct attention your body may also be toggling back and forth between two different self-defense responses that are not being able to complete and they're creating friction and polarity that we don't quite understand so that's one thing but when you're dealing like something that i have dealt with in in myself is that I had a lot of flight, a lot of unresolved flight in my system from my own childhood and my own traumas. And the way that that showed up somatically was my inability to stay still anywhere. Mm. And so I fled from relationship to relationship. I had a shelf life. I didn't stay with anyone longer than like 15 months, 15 to 18 months. So I would go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. I moved apartments. I was in Nashville for 10 years and I lived in nine different places. I had to get out of space after space after space. And like, until I had this framework, until I had this language, I didn't see it like that. And other people didn't see it like that either. Like when I look back at me now, 
I am a woman who was on the run. I was literally fleeing <laughs> everything all the time. I was recreating myself over and over. I would move apartments. I would change jobs. I would change relationships. And every time I got to a certain point where an activation would occur, I would run away. And what other people saw though, and this is what makes it really challenging is someone who was tenacious and determined and aggressive and like nothing was ever good enough for me. And I was like this kind of robotic ball buster who just like ripped through life and like took what she wanted. And like, there was this very interesting, powerful narrative about my behavior that now looking back, I'm like, that girl was running for her life. Like she was not feeling powerful. She was escaping all the time. And so people who struggle with intimacy, people who can't be in the same place, people who feel like they constantly have to be changing or working on weight or working on this, or working on that. And this is, this is where it gets really dangerous because self-development culture is like, you can always be better. You can always be better. There's always something to work on that can really feed into someone who has spent their whole life, um, deploying a flight response because you can kind of back it up and validate your decisions by saying, I'm just pursuing my best self and my highest self while really you're running and running and running and running. So that's one example. Oh, the, the even just those two, I, not only can I see pieces of myself before I was aware of what the word somatic even meant. Um, so many people that I talk to and even interact with on Instagram, I, I think can relate to so much of what you've said. I, okay. I'm going to pause us because I want to give everyone listening one tool from you. And I want to be very clear to everyone. If you know me at all, you know that there's a, not a one size fits all for everybody. B there's never one thing. And I'd use the word never very consciously. There's never one thing that is going to make everything better and all of your things go away. And I say things because sometimes it's problems, sometimes it's thoughts, sometimes it's whatever. And I think that continuing to load up your toolkit, even picking things up here and there, is really, really important. Um, so if you were to leave everyone with one tool related to your work, what would it be? The one thing that I love to give everybody because everyone has a body is something that is going to help you be really present and come back to the here and now from wherever you are. Because in trauma, we are constantly whipped back to the past. And then the anxiety of repeating that throws us forward into the future. And so when you're in a cycle, you're never present. That's the issue. When you're being activated, when you're in that sympathetic space, you're, you are not present. And so something that I use throughout every session that I'm in, no matter what other tools I give, no matter what we're working on or who I'm working with is this ability to come back to the here and now it's called orientation to reorient to the space that you're in, the person you're with, wherever you are. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Typically we do it, um, through all of the senses, through connecting with the senses. So I'm gonna give you kind of two versions of this, right? One version would be wherever you are to just bring your awareness to your feet because our feet get forgotten a lot. 
where are your feet? Your feet can only be exactly where you are. So when you remember your feet and where are they and what are they doing and can you put them flat in contact with the earth or the floor? Obviously, if you're driving, don't do that. But can you feel even the foot that isn't on the pedal? Can you feel your toes? Can you stretch your toes out? Can you find your heels? Can you give yourself some leverage? Can you press into the balls of your feet? Can you press into the heels? Can you feel the evenness of energy between the two? Can you follow that up into your legs and into your seat? And if you're sitting like a lot of us are during the day, can you feel yourself supported by the chair? And what do you notice when you feel yourself supported by the chair? Do you realize that the chair is there and you've been like hunching over forward, not actually using the support for a long time? Can you let yourself maybe sink back and feel it across the, the full width of your back instead of just touching one spot? Can you push into it a little and feel the solidness there? And you notice then what's happening in your belly and you notice then what your breath is doing. And you just kind of notice the space that you're in and just pay attention and get curious about if anything changed in that moment. Did you feel like you were here a little bit more? And then another thing you can add on to this or do instead of this is to orient through sight, look around the room. Like when we're talking about primal physiology, like scan your area, take in the fact that you are in a familiar and historically safe place. Don't just look side to side, look behind you. We're checking for proverbial tigers in the bushes, like look behind you, look below, look side to side, look above, like take in where you are. You can even tell yourself, it's like, oh, today is Tuesday and I'm in my office talking to Rachel and I'm looking out my window and there's green leaves on the trees. And I know it's really hot outside, but it's very nice and cool in here. And it's like, I'm completely in this room right now. And that is the thing that I would give anyone to do anywhere multiple times a day is just yeah. try and bring yourself back to your present. Because sometimes I think we say presence and everyone's like, all right, presence. That means giving like the highest quality of attention, thoughtfulness, whatever to the person I'm with. I'm like, presence is you being all exactly where you're at. You can be fully present in your anger or annoyance or fatigue or whatever, but just be all there so that you're not getting whipped back and forth between past and present. Oh, that helped me feel more grounded. Thank you. Hmm, you're welcome. I didn't even feel particularly ungrounded, which speaks to how wonderful yes. it is to do something like that. Oh, thank you so, so much for being here. And if you're listening and have questions and follow-ups, I will link all of our social information, tag either one of us. We will answer your questions. We're both on Instagram a lot um, and are here for you. So thank you, my dear. You're just, you're wonderful. And it's so, so cool is an understatement, but it's, it's really, really cool to see your work evolve and for you to find this niche that you're so clearly good at and speaks so deeply to you. It comes out and oozes out of you. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you, Earth Angel. I love you. I appreciate you. And I do, I want to take a moment just to acknowledge you for how much 
freedom and safety and acceptance you give to me as your friend, but to everyone in your life and to your community, you serve in a really open-hearted and courageous way. And I am constantly in awe of you and celebrating you. And I'm so excited. This podcast is just another branch of that beautiful support that you offer. And so thank you for including me and trusting me to be um, in your, in your community and part of the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will talk soon. Love you. Love you. If you want to follow up with Kristen, you can check her out at kristenhenke.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-H-E-N-K-E.com or on her Instagram at instagram.com slash kristen.henke. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. 